Well, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The, the Christian church celebrates the resurrection every week. We have a weekly celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Called, we call it the Lord's Day. And it's a day of rest, a day of remembrance of Christ accomplishing His work of redemption and, and having completed His work of rescuing, of redeeming His people. Weekly we come in and, and celebrate that, remember that. But we not every Lord's Day do we particularly look at the resurrection itself. And we also typically, we have a, there's an annual um, remembrance of the resurrection that we call Easter, obviously. And so today I, want to, I do want to look at the resurrection in, in particular, the doctrine of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection that, uh, that it is, that is um, founded upon, uh, our hope that is founded upon the resurrection. So today, Easter, the, it's that, that one day of the year, it aligns with the, with the, the Jewish calendar in the sense of the, the Passover, when the Passover happens, that was the day in which Christ was was slain, then that subsequent first day of the week, he arose. So we'll look at that, uh, look at that today here from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're going to, this morning we're going to look at, um, at from, from verse 1 to verse 28. Now, you probably think Ryan does about five verses an hour typically, so <laughs> we should be done by four o'clock, but, but uh, it's not going to be, it's not going to be uh, that long. 3.30 probably, more like that, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, we'll, uh, we're we're going to go quickly through this here, but there's a lot in, there. there is, a, or quicker through the verses, I should say, pick out Paul's main um, main points as he goes through and, and gives us the, the importance of the resurrection, what it means for us. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start at verse 1, we'll read till uh, the end of verse 28. Moreover, brethren... I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I have preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that, Excuse me. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some, of you, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put, who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. Well, let us pray. Father, again we come before you and we ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us this morning to preach the word, to expound the glorious truths that are contained therein concerning our Savior and His resurrection. Lord, I pray that for the power of the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts, that, that we would leave here edified and encouraged in, uh, in, in, in uh, rejoicing in the, in the risen Christ. And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who, who have not come to the Savior, if there be any among us this morning. So Lord, we, we've, we look to you in all things. We ask that you be, be glorified. We ask that you, that you move powerfully among us this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this section here, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-28, we're going to look at, we're going to divide it into three sections here concerning the, the resurrection. The first is the, or the certainty of the resurrection, verses 1 through 11, the certainty of the resurrection. Verse 12 to 19 give us the necessity of the resurrection. And then verse 20 to 28 is the, the victory, the accomplished victory of the resurrection. So, so we'll look at it in those, uh, in those three groups, or three, three sections here this morning. So Paul begins then, looking at the certainty of the resurrection, begins uh, in, in verse 1, I declare to you the gospel. So Paul is, Paul is beginning, this. you, you see this chapter is 50, uh, 58 verses here concerning the, the resurrection, a, a, a massive section of teaching that he's going to go on about uh, concerning the resurrection, and he begins by saying, this is, this is the gospel. This is the, this is the gospel I'm about to tell you. Yes, the gospel in, includes Christ's life of obedience, to God's law, it includes Christ's death, his atoning death as a substitute for his people on the cross. That's all part and parcel of the gospel, but the gospel falls or stands on the reality of the, of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Christ's life, uh, perfect life of obedience to God's law is meaningless. Without the resurrection, that, that, uh, his death on the cross is, is meaningless as well. So now, so Paul's going to spend... And for that reason, then, Paul's going to spend all this time teaching about the significance of the, of the resurrection, clearing up any false assumptions about it, that, that it didn't happen, or whatever, whatever the, the misunderstandings and, and false teachings were there. He's going to bring out the implications for the people of God, what this means for you, and, and, and again, show us that the entire Christian worldview, Christian doctrine, Christian teaching hinges upon the, upon the resurrection. So he begins here 
first by, by showing the certainty of the resurrection. You have to remember, the, so he's speaking to the Corinthians. Corinth is, is up way up and around the Mediterranean, out below, um, um, uh, what's it, what's it, I forget the, the area there that's, uh, that's in, but it's, it's a ways away from Jerusalem where, the, where this happened. And he's going to, he's going to uh, show them the certainty that, this, that the resurrection did indeed happen. Because, because Satan understands that, as I said earlier, the re everything about the Christian worldview hinges upon the resurrection. Satan knows that his doom was sealed on because of that, because of the resurrection. And therefore, he's, he has been propagating lies and deceptions and, and trying to, to uh, or in denials of the resurrection in order to keep anyone from believing in a risen Savior. A risen Savior is the reason why we have hope, why we would believe the Christian gospel. So if he can, if he can come up with any type of different explanation for it, he's going to. We see it, it starts already in the, in the, the day of the resurrection when the, the soldiers were guarding the tomb and there was the earthquake and, and the, the stone was rolled away, Christ was not there and the, the chief priests paid off the soldiers to make up, fabricate a lie and say his disciples came at night while we were sleeping, stole them away. And I think it's Luke that tells us, he said that's still in the day of Luke's writing of his gospel it's, that was still the, the myth that was being propagated to that day. So that's, that's where uh, it, it began. There, we, we see all, all throughout history, there's been all many different denials of the resurrection. The swoon theory, that's probably one of the most common ones. Um, the idea that Jesus just fainted on the cross. He didn't actually die. Um, again, we're not going to get into debunking all that uh, type of stuff, but that's, that is just, um, it, it's, we've, always, we've always seen that throughout history, trying to deny the resurrection. So Paul's going to clear that up for us, especially it seems that some of the Corinthians were falling prey to this. We, um, Paul says that in, in verse 12. Some of you, some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead. So he first begins then by saying that this was foretold by the scriptures that Christ would rise. In, uh, he says in verse 3, I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. So we, we're, we're, we're pretty familiar with a lot of the, the texts in the Old Testament that indicate that the Christ would die, that he would, that he would be, um, the, especially in Isaiah 53 and places like that, um, that, that the Christ would die. But, but the, where do the scriptures teach that the Christ would rise again? From the dead. Well, we read it this morning, Psalm 16. This is where the this is what the uh, apostles most often um, referred to as it when they were teaching Peter and and uh, and Paul as well. But Peter in Jerusalem teaching to to the Jews, saying, "This man rose." And they quote here Psalm 16: "You will not leave my soul in Sheol, <clears throat> excuse me, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption or to undergo decay." So um, remember Sheol, last, last week we talked about Sheol um, in our second service uh, there. We're going to look at that again today in a little bit more detail. But um, Sheol is the, is the spiritual realm of the dead, where souls, of the, of, of the souls separated from, from their bodies go to, this, uh, go to Sheol. It's, a, it's the spiritual realm of the dead. And, and Christ... Or, or, so, so Psalm 16 says, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. So when, when, upon Christ's death, 
his soul went to Sheol, just like everyone else in the Old Testament. Their soul went to Sheol, but, that, but he was not going to be left there, was not going to be abandoned there in Sheol. He would rise, he would rise again. Psalm 49 tells us the same thing. Psalm 49, verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. He shall receive me. So in, and in contrast to that, the wicked, in verse 14, like sheep, they are laid in, in, in the grave or Sheol. Death will feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. Their beauty shall be, um, or their form, shall be consumed in Sheol, far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. He shall receive me. Psalm 86, verse 13. Another, another passage that indicates this. Psalm 86, verse 13. For great is your mercy toward me, for you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So, yes, this is David speaking here. Yes, he's, he's comparing his, his life of, and, the, and the, the troubles and the, and the difficulties of his life as if it, he was in the depths of Sheol, but he's delivered from that. Um, there, it's all pointing us forward to Christ. That's why I said why, that's why the apostles um, use, especially Psalm 16, to, to support their, the resurrections and to say this is what the scriptures taught. So we see that several places. Um, now, what about the fact that Jesus rose on the third day? Where do we find? Where do the scriptures teach that that it would be that it would be on the third day? So the Psalms don't say that. Not the ones that we've read here. Well, Jesus gave us one reference uh, himself. He said, "You will receive any sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah." For as, as Jonah, prophet Jonah was in the in the in the, the belly of the fish. For three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, which is again that reference to um, reference to Sheol. There we find that. Um, so, so Jesus gave us gave us that that reference. So you can turn to Jonah if you um, to see that if you want to uh, to follow along. Jonah chapter one, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah chapter one, um, verse, verse seventeen. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, if we only took that, we would um, it, we might not make the connection. But let's look at Jonah's prayer for a minute, starting in, in verse two. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, "I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and You heard my voice, for You cast me into the deep." Remember, there's that word again, the deep, the tahum, that's the Hebrew word. That's the, that's the wrath of God. That's, that's Sheol, in a sense. Not Sheol as a, as a place, um, necessarily, but the, but the wrath of Almighty God, the separation from God. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Your flood surrounded me. Your billows and your waves passed over me. And then we drop down, um, we drop down farther. We can go down to verse, uh, verse 9. Salvation is of Yahweh. So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. So we see the we see the um, the the parallels. Now now we don't. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up some more in a minute here. But let's note the idea. We've talked about this quite a bit in the past of the depths, the deep, passing through the deep, which is Sheol, which is which is death, passing through the deep, third day landing on dry land. That pattern, we find that several places in Scripture. Um, so we think of Noah, for example. 
passing through the in the in the flood. There's the there's the fountains of the great deep are opened up, the waters of judgment upon the earth. But Noah is is um, is in this ark. He's given a way to pass through here. But he um, but it's the for Noah. It's not necessarily the third day, but it's the third time that Noah sends that the dove out. And um, and after the third time the dove goes out, then Noah opens the ark and he looks out and he steps out onto dry ground. It tells us. So again, it's the third time there, not necessarily the third day, but the third time. Think of the Exodus. We've looked at this a lot in the past. The Exodus, they, the Passover lamb is killed at, at, uh, at, at evening when the sun goes down. The beginning of that first day, Passover lamb is killed. It's on the third day that um, from, the, from the slaying of the Passover, the morning of the third day, that they pass through the, the deep, the depths of the Red Sea. They pass through on what? On dry ground, the third day. So we see that pattern there. We, uh, Ezra actually talks about it. Ezra, think of the... the Israelites were in Babylon, captivity, exile, judgment for their sin. They were in exile, but Cyrus, who, who Isaiah 45 says is the Messiah, Cyrus said, gives, issues a decree. You, the Jews can go. Ezra gathers the people together, whoever wants to come back. They sit by the banks of a river for three days, and then on the third day, they leave and they depart. So again, there's that there's that pattern. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Third day. Again, so in the Old Testament, it was always the morning of the third day that redemption or salvation, rescue, that, that it was accomplished and, and, um, and, and, and completed. Now, um, just briefly, as a, as a bit of a, of a side note, sometimes we wonder, Jesus said he's going to be like Jonah for three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And we think, well, how does that, how does that work? Because Jesus, Jesus, was was, was, Jesus died on, on Friday, Good Friday, so he spent Friday night in, and in the grave, Saturday night in the grave, and Sunday morning he rose. So that's only two nights. But we have to remember a, a, a day... In the Old Testament, begins at sundown. So we have our days begin at, at midnight, twelve o'clock midnight for the Jews, which is similar, I guess. But for the Jews, it was it was sundown, always like that. But remember when Jesus was on the cross, as as he as he was slain, as he was uh, was facing the wrath that that judgment, the wrath of God, bear, bearing the, the the weight, the full weight of the wrath of God. What happened? There was darkness fell across the land. The sun was darkened. Uh, Luke tells us that's the first night. It, that's when it began. Darkness with Christ on the cross, as he's in experiencing the the torments of the wrath of God. That's the first night, and then and then there's two subsequent nights that we um, that we're familiar with there. So that's if you're ever questioning how does how do we reconcile that? That's that's why there was darkness across the land as it began. The Passover lamb, the spotless lamb of God, was slain, and and, and in as as darkness. Um, fell over the land. So, bit of a bit of a side note, but just to just to uh, help us see the the parallels there. <clears throat> so, um, the scriptures taught, as as Paul is teaching us here, and Paul says, according to the scriptures, the scriptures teach that through, and they teach us through through typology, through these these pictures that we find in in, in patterns and themes that we find in the Old Testament. That, that Christ would rise victorious, redemption would be accomplished, 
on the, on the third day. Christ would rise from Sheol, the, the dead, on the third day. His soul would not be held captive there. So, so that's what Paul wants us to see. If the scriptures taught that, the word of God taught that Christ would rise from the dead on the third day, there should be no surprise then that Christ rose. At least there should be no question that Christ rose. You should not be, we shouldn't be, be questioning this here. This is, um, the scriptures taught it. So that's Paul's first line of defense in, in establishing the, the certainty of the resurrection. Then he moves on to the next defense, which is eyewitness testimony. So eyewitness testimony, that's what we look for in any, in any case, any, any type of, of discussion of what, of what happened, any court case, whatever it may be. Did anyone see it? Were, are there eyewitnesses? That's, that was biblical law in, 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 uh, for the Old Testament as well. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established. So now he's going to give us eyewitness testimony here. He was seen by Cephas, that's, that's Peter. Then he was seen by the Twelve. And then he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So, so Paul's saying these, most of these eyewitnesses of this, this big group of 500 that saw him, most of them are still alive. So if you go, you can probably find them and, and talk to them. You'll, um, you, chances are you'll run across somebody who literally saw the risen Lord. You could go talk to them yourself. Peter, Peter is still alive, um, as, are, as are the majority of the other apostles, but the, you know, the odds of them ending up in Corinth to talk to you are probably slim, but the, there's many of these 500 here you probably could talk to. There's, we have uh, eyewitnesses who are still alive here. But then, um, but then Paul goes on, he was seen by James, then he was seen by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So Paul's saying, I'm writing this letter, I myself am an eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, it, was, it was as one born out of due time. It didn't happen in, in, the, in the, 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 um, the regular way, maybe we could say there, that it, it was different order than normal because Christ had actually already ascended at that point. But yet, on that Damascus road, Paul literally saw the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. That's what he tells us here. So, Paul as well is an eyewitness. So, we have, we have Paul, we have all these eyewitnesses. Paul, saying myself included, there's no reason to doubt this. Remember when he was talking to Agrippa and Festus in Acts chapter 26? He says, he says these things were not done in a corner. He's talking about the resurrection. They were not done in a corner. This was... You would have to be foolish to to um, to say and, and to not believe that this didn't happen. This was Jerusalem was was turned upside down. The, the whole world was turned upside down. Was the accusation later on from some of the Jews because of because of this resurrection it did not happen in a corner. Peter says the same thing. We don't follow cunningly devised fables. That, um, that when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So it's a little easier for us maybe 2,000 years later to say, to say oh, you know, that the, the resurrection, uh, you know, that's some story that, that um, you know, the, the Christians talk about. Whatever. But in those, in those days, in the, in the known world, 
then, it was, it was no secret. It was, again, imagine Jerusalem after, the, after this resurrection, especially after Pentecost, because the disciples stayed fairly quiet um, until, until Pentecost. But then it was it, it daily, thousands of people every day added to the church there. It, was, it, it literally turned, turned Jerusalem on its head and subsequently as that message spread there. So there, there's no question. We have these eyewitnesses. We have this, the incredible change in, and, um, and the, the zeal of the, of the disciples teaching this and, and proclaiming this immediately after the, the masses of people that, that would have been able to talk to the eyewitnesses and, and come to faith in Christ as they realized that the scriptures did indeed tell this. And, and we, we, we know people have seen this. This is, you know, so the resurrection is, is, a, is a certainty. The word of God foretold it. Hundreds of eyewitnesses. And those eyewitnesses have written down that testimony and given it, and we still have it today. It's called the New Testament. It's called the, the, the Bible. So we have, the, we have the, the writing of eyewitnesses in here. We have Matthew. He was, he was one of the 12. Saw it. Um, Mark, he, he was Peter's, um, what's the word, scribe or something. Peter's sidekick. He wrote down under Peter's instruction. He, he, and most likely Mark would have seen as well. But we have Mark. We have Luke, who was, who was Paul's sidekick. Paul had seen the risen Lord, and Luke was writing underneath the authority of Paul, most likely. We have John. John has written, um, written his gospel and his, his epistles. Um, Peter, Paul, James, all of them. They've all seen the risen Lord. Every, every book that we have in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, is written by an eyewitness, eyewitness of the risen Lord. So we have the certainty of the resurrection. There is really no reason to question it unless it's a moral reason that we have where we don't want to submit to the reality of it. But practically speaking, there's no, there just is no doubt that the resurrection is, is certain. So let's move on then to the necessity of the resurrection. Now if Christ is preached, now look at verse 11, whether it was I or they, so be preached. So it's these eyewitnesses that are preaching this, and so you believe. So they've heard this from eyewitness testimony from the eyewitnesses themselves. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You, you're, as I said already, it's, it, it's indisputable, really, especially only, you know, maybe 20 or so years, maybe probably even less than that, since the time that it happened. So why, then, are some of you saying that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. He says in verse 13, if you say that it's not possible to for for someone to rise from the dead, to come back from the dead, if you're going to make that type of a statement there that that death is a death is a one-way street, simply not person not possible that a person would leave that their soul would leave Sheol, the place of the dead. If you're going to make a blanket statement like that, well, that means that Christ then as well is not risen from the dead. And if that's the case, verse 14, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So our preaching is empty. Paul, Paul preached that Jesus was the Son of God, which is, which is the only hope for fallen humanity and for, the, for redemption from our sins. That we, we, need, we need a... 
uh, a savior who is man, so that he can he can die, so that he can you know he can live his life in obedience to the law. But but we need one who can die. God can't die, so we need a man. But we need but that man it can't be in any ordinary man. It must be he must be the son of God as well, so that he can make this this so that he can in fact conquer death. That's what we just read this morning in Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, you know, he said that David, David, uh, sorry, um, writing concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, so there's his humanity, and but declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, or the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection proved this to be the case, that he was, in fact, the God-man. Because of that unique hypostatic union, we call that, the union of, of, the, of the two natures of Christ in his human, human nature, his divine nature, that yet, that because of that unique union of, as the God-man, he could die as a man, yet through that he could conquer death and come out victorious. And it's the resurrection that proves that. So Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then my my preaching that Jesus is the Son of God is is um, is our and that He's our Savior, it's empty, it's meaningless. And so is your faith. Your faith is is empty. You want to believe in a, in a Jesus, but a, but a, a dead Jesus, that's 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 futile. The whole hope of the gospel is that Jesus saves our souls from the power of death. The, the penalty of death. If he, if Jesus had succumbed to the to the power of death, if he had not conquered it in, by by paying for it for paying that price in full, what sort of a hope? What sort of a faith is that? Paul says it's empty and and it's futile. We're going to look at that in, in a bit more detail when we come to verse seventeen. Um, but first, he says here in verse fifteen, yeah, we and yes, and we are found false witnesses. Of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, I think it should. Um, it, the the King James says, our New King James that I'm preaching from says, if Christ are uh, we are we have we are found false witnesses of God. I think it's the idea means we are found false witnesses for God that they were witnessing for God, and and and, and testifying of the reality of this. Of the resurrection on God's behalf, they're God's witnesses. So imagine, imagine as a as a court case, God has God says that I'm going to redeem souls from Sheol. I'm going to I'm going to redeem my. I'm not going to allow my holy one to to undergo um, corruption, to be held captive and abandoned in in Sheol. But I'm going to raise him from there. God says that. Paul says you're saying that's not possible. So we have a disagreement. God calls forth his star witnesses, apostles, Paul and, and, and the others here, to testify. So Paul's saying if, if in reality the resurrection isn't possible, then we're guilty of being false witnesses. And we know that's a violation of God's law. Thou shalt not bear false witness. So we're being a false witness. But God is guilty of, of, of uh, calling upon false witnesses to support his claim and to testify for him. He, Paul says here, we have testified for God that he raised up Christ, which, which Paul says then is, is a lie if in fact you know, the, the dead do not raise 
um, and, and, and that, it's, that the resurrection is not possible. <clears throat> so God is, if, if that's the case, then God is guilty of, of perjury. God is guilty of calling upon false witnesses. Paul and the, and the other apostles are, are guilty of being false witnesses as well. Are you willing to, are you willing to stand upon that and call God a liar and his, and his God's witnesses liars? And Paul, again, Paul's saying that's futile, that's, that's silly. We know God is not a liar. <clears throat> For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 16 and verse 17, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. <clears throat> so, if you have faith in Christ, you have faith that Christ is going to forgive you of your sin somehow, but if he hasn't risen from the dead, there's no forgiveness. You're still in your sins. Death still has power over you. Death still has its, its sting, to use the language of Paul there. Hades still has the, the victory. The sting of death, that's at the end of the chapter, the sting of death is sin. So the, the, the sting, the, the, the power of death is sin, your sin, that, that holds you guilty before God and keeps you in a, in a place where you're guilty of death. That's the power that death has over you, is your own sin. And if Christ is not risen, then you are still in your sins. If Christ has not, has not paid for that price you're, uh, and, and um, fulfilled that punishment in full, then you're still... In your sins, you're still guilty before God. Death still has power over you. And and, and again, if if Christ hasn't hadn't risen from the dead, that means that the payment for sin had not been made. If death had swallowed him up and had and had conquered him, if he had succumbed to that, had not been able to endure it, that means that what that means is that he would, he was not able to endure the wrath of God for our sins. He he and he had succumbed to that, and and that means our sins remain unpaid if he did not if if he did not rise from the dead. Again, think of the Old Testament examples that we talked about that point us forward to uh, to this reality here. If the ark if the ark hadn't been able to bear the bear the the storms of the of the great flood and when the fountains of the deep were 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 opened up, if the if the ark had had capsized and, and succumbed to the to the storms and sank. There's there's no hope for Noah and for his family to escape that flood either. Think of the Israelites. If those walls of water that are that are holding back the depths of the Red Sea, if 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 they were not able to hold back that weight to bear the full weight, then Israel would have perished right alongside the Egyptians in that in that Red Sea. The water would have crashed in over them. That's the, that's the picture that we have here. If Christ was not able to bear the full weight of the wrath of God for our sin so that we could pass through safely and, and unharmed, then there would be no hope for us. But the resurrection indicates to us that he, in fact, he did bear the full weight of, of that, of, our, of God's wrath for us. He conquered death. He, he paid the last might of that, of that debt of eternal death that we owed, that his people deserved, so that they could be forgiven. And when they, when they're when you're no longer deserving of death, when your sin has been paid in full, death no longer has power over you anymore. So if Christ didn't rise, that means he didn't succeed, and we are still in our sins. 
we too then will succumb to the wrath of God and, and for our sins when we die. <clears throat> and also, so ourselves, and also as Paul says in verse 18, those who have already died, uh, he uses the language of fallen asleep here, but indicating death, they too have perished. They have succumbed to death. They have succumbed to the, to the eternal punishment. It's not just physical death here. That when we, when, we, when we use the word death, we're not talking physical death. We're talking spiritual death, spiritual separation from God for eternity in, in torment. <clears throat> so the, the Old Testament saints, those who, have, who, who, who looked forward to Christ, they have, they have perished. They, their hope was, was that Yahweh, the Redeemer, would, would save their souls from the power of Sheol. But it was an empty and a useless hope, Paul says here, if, if Christ is not risen. Those who have, those in the New Testament who have seen Jesus as the Messiah, have believed in, excuse me, in Jesus as the Messiah, to bring about that hope, they realize he's the one who brings about that hope. Well, it's a, it, for them too, it's a futile hope, Paul says, if Christ is not risen. For us, still living, our faith is, it's empty, it's useless. What a, what a, what a pitiable situation that is to have such a hope but a completely baseless hope, completely founded on something that is that is none other than a than a just a figment of our imagination. If if, um, if what he's saying here, if the, if the if the resurrection is not reality, so we're pitiable. Look at we look at other religions. We look at we, we look at those who who have a, a hope of the afterlife uh, based on on simply. Sheer speculation based on the words of some sort of a of a of a of a false prophet of some sort, and we feel sorry for them. We we pity them. We think of we think of those who have hope of achieving nirvana as some sort of a state where you just sort of meld into the universe, whatever that means. But that's what they say. We feel we feel sorry for them. Those who think those who think that when they die, if they were good enough, they're going to go and have seventy virgins in heaven, or those who think that they're going to they're going to when they die, they're going to get their own. Um, planet to be the, the god of and to have to, to have the celestial their own little celestial realm and, and all that goes with that based on their good works we we look at that and we and, and, and we pity them we feel sorry for them when we, when we think that that their hope is founded on something meaningless and baseless there's no it's they're, 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 they have this great hope and when they die, they're going to stand before God and 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 realize that hope was unfounded and they'll be cast into hell. Well, Paul says that's us. If the resurrection didn't happen, that's us. We have a baseless hope. Then now, verse nineteen: If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If we're living now with the hope that we will enter God's presence, be with Him for all of eternity. But if the resurrection is not a reality, then when we, when we die and we stand before God, we'll, we'll find out that we're still guilty. We still have unpaid sin to deal with. And then we will be cast into hell in order to pay for that sin. What a pitiable situation that is for us to be in. Especially when we consider as, as Christians, we, we suffer for the name of Christ. We, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We follow Him. We're mocked and ridiculed and, and, and persecuted. But what, 
what you know what what for? We're denying fleshly lusts and and um, you know we're we're going against the world in which we live. We're doing it all in the name of Jesus, with our minds set upon this hope of of being in glory with Him one day, but only to have our hope dashed when we when we die. What a sad, horrible, pitiful situation that would be. And and look at verse thirty two for a minute. Um, there he says, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? So he's talking about the trials, the difficulties of life. If the dead do not rise, now let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we, we die. If, 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 there's, if, if the resurrection is not true, why do, we, why do we continue on then facing and taking the, the, the difficulties, the trials of this life that we face as Christians, as believers, in Christ, he says, "Enjoy the present, indulge in everything you can now, because you're going to die, and it's and it's and it's gone." But Paul says here, "Let's let's stop talking hypothetically, as if as if this resurrection didn't happen, um, as if he's not risen." Verse twenty. But now Christ is risen from the dead. We 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 know that, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So in the previous verses we've seen, Paul says, if if, if Christ didn't rise, then then what is it, what would that mean for you? But here he says, Christ did rise. So let's look at what that means for us. This victory that is achieved through uh, through the resurrection. So he says, Christ has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. They indicate what the harvest is going to look like. What the rest of the harvest will look like. The first fruits. As they, as, as, as they start um, ripening and being harvested, indicates what's going to, the rest of the harvest. Now there's an interesting allusion here, Leviticus chapter 23, that Paul is talking about when he, when he references the, um, the first, fruit, first fruits. Leviticus 23, we know there was, an, there was an offering of the first fruits in the Old Testament. And verse 10, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. So we see that there, we have the offering of a spotless lamb in conjunction with the, with the offering of the first fruits of God, and it's offered on the day after the Sabbath there. So again, it's just a, there's an interesting connection there. We know Christ rose on the day after the, after the Old Testament Sabbath, but he, he rose as the, as the, the first fruits, an, an indication of what was going to follow for his people, for those who have already died. And for those who, who, who will die in the future, that they will rise, they too will, will rise from the dead. They will, they, will, um, they will not be held by death. Yes, we will physically die. We have, that is still part of, of, the, um, of the effects of the fall, that we will physically die unless Christ returns before that. But we will not be held by death. We will not be held captive by death. The way to pass through, to pass through Sheol, to pass through death has been made. That way of access into the presence of God has been secured because Christ bore the weight of the Father's wrath 
for us. He conquered death for us, made the way through so that we too can, can pass through. It's the first fruits. Christ's resurrection indicates what will come to us. Verse 21, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So by man came death. Death became a reality when Adam sinned in, in the garden. There was no such thing as death prior to the fall. There was no need for it there. But through one man, sin entered the world, and death entered through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. That's Romans 5, verse, verse 12. Death entered the world because of sin. Now death has the power over everyone because everyone has sinned. Everyone stands guilty of eternal life, eternal death. But look at, look at what happened here then. But by man also then came the resurrection of the dead. Before this man, resurrection, there was no resurrection possible. There was no escaping death. Yes, we know there were in the Old Testament, there, there were those who, and the New, I guess as well, there were those who did escape or who were raised from the dead. That was only temporary. They died again and they, they went, they, um, their, their souls went back to Sheol. So, um, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was temporary, but there was, no, there was no permanent resurrection possible until this one man, Jesus Christ, until he came, until he paid the price for sin, bore the weight of the wrath of God, conquered death, provided that way of escape and a way through, a way through death into eternal life. It's through Christ. But it's not for everyone. This is not, not everyone is, will enter eternal life because Christ has made resurrection possible. <clears throat> in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So all who remain in Adam, in a state of sin, in a state of deserving of death. They will, they will physically die, yes, but then they will enter that state of eternal death, eternal torment. All who remain in Adam, all who, which is, which is uh, that state of death and, and deserving of death. But all those who are in Christ, now that's what we need to understand this here. The, 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 um, it says here, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. The Greek is the, the all, it's um, all in the in Christ's as a, as a label. The Christians, we might say. All the Christians, all who are in Christ will be made alive. They shall be made alive. Yes, you're going to physically die as a, as a result of, of this, of this sin-cursed world. You will physically die, but you will escape the wrath of God, escape that eternal death, and enter into the glorious presence of God in eternal life because the way had been made to us, the way of escape. So, and then um, when we die now, we enter in, in with our, our souls, enter into the presence of God in that spiritual realm. But then at the end of the age, our our bodies rise also. And, 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 and those who are in Christ, our our souls will be reunited with our resurrected bodies and enter that, that glorious kingdom of Christ. And that's where Paul takes us now to, to the end. Verse 23, each one 
talking about the resurrection now, uh, being made alive, each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruit. So Christ has already physically risen from the dead. Um, and, and so not only does that, it, did he escape the wrath of God and, and conquer it and made a way for his, for his people to pass through, but he rose physically as well. He didn't just enter, enter the presence of God in his human soul, leave his body in the ground. No, he came back to earth in the physical body to declare victory to us. It's the, it's the proof. It's the, it's the, so we have this, this certainty. And again, as the, as the first fruits of what will happen uh, to us, that we will follow in that. His, his physical resurrection is the proof to us that he conquered death. That's the hope. That's the ground upon which we stand the, the hope that we have of a future physical dwelling with the Lord, which is the culmination, or the, I should say the goal of creation accomplished. Christ accomplishes the goal of creation. Remember, Adam was created as an image bearer of God to dwell with God for eternity, but he lost that ability due to sin. The goal, he failed to, to reach that goal. But Christ rescues us, Christ redeems us, and he brings us to that goal of, of, of a physical body and soul reunited as real as you and I are here today. That real being with God in eternity, for, uh, in, in, in heaven, in his dwelling place for eternity. <clears throat> and that goal is, is reached, Paul tells us here, at the second coming of Christ. At, uh, so uh, when we receive our physical bodies back, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. And then comes the end, verse 24, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and when he puts an end to all rule, authority, and power. So this, if you want to, if you question what's going to happen at the end of the world, it's right here. This is how it all ends. Christ, Christ, um, he returns the, the souls, with the souls of, of those who have, um, who have died already and, and gone to heaven, they will come with him. We see that in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 3, chapter 4 as well, that the souls will come back with Christ. Those who have, who have died before this second coming, they will receive their glorified bodies back. They receive, um, they, 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 uh, then, then those who are still alive on this earth, if they have, uh, um, who, those who are believers in Christ, they will, uh, the Bible talks about us being alive, being caught up together with him. And, and, and again, imagine, just imagine that for, for, for a moment. Christ, Christ is, is, Christ returns back to this earth. All the, all of his people their souls have come with him. They received their bodies. All of his people who are living are there. We're all caught up together with Christ on the earth. There, imagine that Christ standing there. All his people around him. It's a it's a multitude. No man can number a multitude of, of people. It's made up from from people of every tribe, tongue, people, and and language. Christ standing there with this with this massive innumerable multitude and then he says to the father here here my father here's this kingdom here's the kingdom of of renewed restored image bearers 
whom I have redeemed, I have rescued from the jaws of death through, through my death on, on their behalf. And here they are. They're fit now, fit to dwell with you for all of eternity. What a, what a, what a glorious, glorious end it is to, to this age as we know it now. And that's when an end is put to all authority and power um, as well, Paul tells us here. Satan, Satan is called the angel of death, the one who has the power of death. Um, he was defeated. He was defeated at the cross. We, he, he thought he had won the battle at the, at the cross. He thought it was over. He thought he had killed the Son of God, but he had, he had no idea that he was playing right into God's hand because it was through the death of Christ at, at, the, at the hand of Satan's accomplices, his, his human accomplices, it was through the death of Christ that Satan lost the power of death, that he was defeated. No longer does he have that power of death. First Corinthians chapter 2, a very interesting verse. A very, I, 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 I really like this, uh, this verse. Verse, um, verse 8, I'll start at verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So rulers of this age is a reference to, to Satan and, and his hosts. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Speaking of the gospel and of, the, of, of Christ as the, as, the, uh, as, the, as, as the substitute here. Um, we're speaking the, the, the hidden wisdom of God, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Beautiful. I, it's beautiful. that Satan would not have entered Judas to betray, uh, to betray Jesus. He would not have... He would not have used his accomplices, the chief priests, had he known this was God's marvelous plan of redemption. But we know God's plans come to pass, and Satan is now defeated. Through death, Satan is defeated. We know when I say when I say that you know Satan, um, Satan would not have have. Um, you know, he thought he was over. He thought he had killed the Son of God. Satan was not punishing Christ on the cross. Satan was not was not the one who inflicted the pain and torment upon Christ on the cross. Let's keep that uh, keep that in mind. It's it's it was God. It was the wrath of God. The suffering. Yes, the, and the the physical torment for sure was the means used. Were were was the crucifixion, etc. But but I always want to be clear. Payment is not made to Satan in any way. Satan is not is not the one who's, in, who's inflicting the tormenting, but it was Satan who orchestrated the whole crucifixion from a, from a physical standpoint. So let's be, let's be clear on that. Satan is defeated. No longer does he have the power of death. Christ now has the power of, of death. Hebrews 2 verse 14 tells us that. Through death, Jesus, through his death, he destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil, and he released those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime in bondage. In Revelation 1, verse 18, John sees Jesus, and Jesus says, I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. He has the keys because he, he took them from Satan. He conquered 
He conquered Satan. He took those keys when he, when he conquered him, when he crushed the head of that great dragon. Again, we've, we've seen that parallel in the, old, in the Old Testament. When Yahweh makes a way through the sea, in doing so, he crushes the head of the great dragon that lives in the sea there. All pointing us forward to Christ, crushing the head of Satan, conquering him, having now the power of, of death himself, he, and having, having conquered it. Now Christ, it's Christ determines who, who stays there and who passes by, who escapes death. So yes, Satan and his and his 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 devils, they still are, are going about, they're still trying to keep people in darkness and and in rebellion against Christ, but he's lost that power in the sense of having um, the power of death because of our sin that makes us deserving of death. Satan lost that power. His ruin is coming. He and his angels, uh, death and Hades itself, all who remain there, who have not been redeemed, cast into the lake of fire, that eternal pit of torment to face the wrath of, of Almighty God for eternity. Christ currently has the power. Christ is currently reigning, and he's reigning, and he's continuing to rescue his people from darkness and bring them into that marvelous light that is his kingdom. And then Paul says here he's, he's going to rule till he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There's several different ways to, to take verse 26. I think I take it to be death there, capital D, Hades, Sheol. Um, there, the, it's the, that spiritual place of the dead. It's the intermediate state of, of the souls of unbelievers and, and the last enemy to be destroyed is, is Sheol. And that's consistent with what we see in Revelation 20 as well at the end, that death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. And, it's the, and, and the, the souls of those who remain in, in Hades or Sheol, those are the, the Sheol's Hebrew, Hades is, is Greek. Death is also used to refer to that capital D, death. Um, the souls who were there have been resurrected as well. That's all, that's all um, part of, of this, although we're not going to get into that um, in, in this sermon. But their, their souls are, or their bodies are resurrected as well, reunited with their souls. They, are, they have been judged and they have been cast into that lake of fire. And then so, so too death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire in, in this, in, uh, and, and destroyed. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, which is where we will go, which is the place of our eternal destiny after as believers in Christ, there's no need for a shield. There's no need for, for, uh, for death and separation from God. It's a perfect paradise, dwelling together with God, no ever chance of sin entering again. Revelation 21, 7, 27 tells us that. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the destruction, the destruction of that last enemy, death and, and, and Hades or Sheol, it, it signifies to us that our Eternal destiny is guaranteed to be to be nothing but sinless perfection, nothing but but bliss, nothing but the, the the immediate presence of the Lord, nothing evil, nothing negative in in any way. That's the last enemy being destroyed 
signifying to us where we go, there's no need for, for death. And that's what we have to look forward to, brethren. That is what we, we look forward to. That's what Christ's death and His resurrection secure for us. His resurrection gives us the, the unquestionable guarantee that this is our future reality. As Paul says, no resurrection, no hope. But the resurrection is, is real. God foretold it. Eyewitnesses saw it. Eyewitnesses wrote it down. We can be assured beyond a doubt that it happened. And because of that, we have the most blessed hope that a person could ever want. Dwelling in the presence of the Creator Himself in paradise. No more sin. No more sorrow. No sighing. No, no crying. No suffering. No death. That's what we have. That's why, that's why, that's what we have to look forward to. That's why John ends his, the, the book of Revelation saying, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, because we look forward to that. So let us leave here today with our minds set upon that again, renewed, that that is where we're going because of the resurrection of Christ. And again, if, if, if you're not in Christ, if you're a believer in Him, you don't have that hope. The only, the only, what you have then is you will, the way has not, you have, the way, you have no access to that way that God has made through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will be, will enter a torment in, in hell. When we, when we speak of the new heavens and new earth being utter bliss, hell or the, the, the lake of fire or whatever, however you want to use it, the, 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 the biblical words to describe it, it's the complete opposite. It's, it's, it's only Sin. It's only sorrow, only sighing, only crying, only suffering, only death in the sense of, of the, 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 the absence of, of any of God's goodness, only under His wrath, His judgment, His punishment. But the way of escape is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him as your Savior, the one who has taken your sin, paid in full for it, so that you no longer are deserving of death because it's been paid for by another.